This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Rechte Neckfahne mit dem linken Fuß. Bringt den Ball auf den zweiten Pfosten. Tische! Tor! 1-0 für den VfL Bochum! Da draußen ist der Ball frei! Und jetzt ist er drin! Jetzt ist er drin! Und die Spotzen macht das Tor! Hello and welcome to another edition of the Swider Bundesliga podcast. We are now 22 match days in arrears and we are getting to the nitty gritty of the 2019-20 season. We have plenty to talk about on this week's edition. Uh, of course, the promotion fight. It seems to be at the moment a three-team race, but will two other sides uh, in fourth and fifth take a claim or potential make a push at those promotion places? Of course, we will have to look at the relegation battle. Uh, it seems that the picture is becoming a little bit clearer. We will delve deeper into that and the leftovers, which are our topic questions. We have a couple to answer and we look forward to getting to those at the end. Uh, joining me today, we have two uh, uh, very special people helping me deliberate in all things Spider Bundesliga. Of course, uh, our favourite, the one and only Eva Lotterball. Eva, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. And of course, joining us from Hamburg. Of course, he works for Hamburger Asphalt, delivering all their English content, the one and only Robert Haggis. Robert, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you, Matthew. Excellent. Let's, without further ado, let's get to the action. And we are going to start with Arminio Bielefeld. It makes perfect sense to start with the team on top of the table. They were rampant. 4-2 winners over Greuter Fert, uh, Cedric Brunner, Fabian Klaus, uh, Sebio Suku, and of course a Paul Jarkel own goal, giving the four goals for Bielefeld. Um, Eva, this was a game... You may not have watched live because you were in Hanover. We're going to talk about that game next. But another good performance for Bielefeld. They've been fantastic away from home. I guess the one thing we should probably talk about is they've been looking to fill the void of Vokul Summer. But the two games they've um, played without him, they've scored 10 goals. So that's a, that's a very promising sign. Yeah, I think definitely a lot of the credit goes to to Xavier Zuku. I think he plays a good game but also to Jonathan Klaus who kind of goes forward a bit more than than before uh, and then apparently we have a new striker more or less which is Cedric Brunner apparently uh, two games uh, two goals in a row for him now um, but I, I think the performance wasn't as good as uh, the performance against Jan uh, they didn't do as much. I think they were basically more efficient up front than than Fürth was. Um, really happy for that the fourth goal didn't land in front of Marcel Hartel's shoes because I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have been a goal otherwise. Um, but yeah, I think decent performance and uh, this gives a lot of confidence going forward, actually. It is definitely the kind of performance we've almost come to expect from Bielefeld away from home. They know how to score goals. Um, defensively, it might not have been their best effort, Robert. It's actually the first two goals they've conceded in 2020. Um, they still have the same back four that they've basically run with for most of the season. Hartert, Pieper, 
Nielsen and, and Brunner, although Brunner has decided that he's going to be a makeshift striker from time to time. Um, what, what's the uh, the one thing that you took away from this game uh, against Grotefurt? I just uh, I thought it was funny while Aoife was speaking that um, she was sort of complaining about having scored four goals and they're they're efficient. I think uh, in Hamburg we'd love to have an away performance like that. Um, yeah, I think a lot of people, especially after Vogelsammer's injury, were expecting Bielefeld to drop off a bit. But if anything, they've got even better. I mean, 10 goals in the last two games. Um, I think what I, yeah, as, as you said before, I was in the, uh, I was at the Hanover game, so I didn't watch, watch this one live. But looking at the highlights, I think what always impresses me is how calm Neuhaus seems on the sideline. It just like he, he gives his team a very clear tactical plan. The team know what they're going to do, and then they carry it out, and then they carry it out every weekend. And he just sits on the sideline and watches some lovely football. I mean, I saw the the tweet that you retweeted on Twitter. They just play, yeah, Bielefeld played such nice football, uh, aren't afraid to play it out from the back. And I think um, I think that's definitely one of their strengths. Even away from home, they're not afraid to to play the ball out from the back and take teams apart with their with their passing game. Yes, it's, I'm actually glad you brought that th- uh, that uh, thread up, uh, the Edward Schmidt thread, and it actually goes into depth about a number of uh, teams, especially those coached by Uwe Neuhaus. He is probably maybe the most chilled manager out there. Has his own little deck chair set up, and yeah, I mean, he's got the best seat in the house. And, and when you have a team that is performing like Bielefeld are, I mean, you are doing quite well. They do host Hanover, which is the game we'll get onto in a sec. We'll just slightly touch on Greutherford. Uh They scored twice in this game. Harvard Nielsen got his fourth of the season. But they were very slow out of the blocks, doing catch-up. Uh, and it was a result that was, unfortunately for them, uh, a deserved loss. Let's get to that Hamburg game. Uh, they travel to Hanover. Uh, the game ended a goal apiece. Cedric Toykert opened the scoring uh, on 51 minutes. It was his third consecutive game with a goal. He has five for the season. Uh, and basically with the last kick header of the game, uh, Joel Poy and Paolo uh, headering in uh, the joker of the match to give Hamburg a share of the spoils. Rob, this we, we've spoke, we spoke about this off air and 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 and, in a ch- and just chatting about it in general it was not a great Hamburg performance and it took them a while to get into the game and and you would suggest that after going a goal down it woke the team up yeah I think I think what's sort of most frustrating from the from the Hamburg fans perspective um, is that it seems that uh, Hamburg don't really seem to get going away from home until they go a goal down, which seems, um, yeah, very strange. Um, I, th- I, I was sort of, I was thinking about it, and I, th- I think it was the, the system probably from, from Kokach, from the Hanover manager, that made quite a difference because they're playing 3-5-2. I think why we're perhaps more successful at home is that teams sit off a bit more and then uh, Van Tongelen and Lechert have a bit more time to um, play out from the back and look for those long passes to either Bayer or Leibold on the left-hand side. And whereas uh, Maina and Toyshet were playing up front for Hanover and not giving them any time at all, so then the passes were a lot more rushed and Hamburg were unable to get into their into their rhythm. But I mean, yeah, so what, what Eve was talking about before, about being uh, Bielefeld being efficient, I think Hamburg had a number of chances. I mean, like, Yatta missed pretty much an open goal. Um, there was an effort cleared off the line soon after. 
So I think the chances were there, but it's just lacking that ruthless edge that sort of Stuttgart and Bielefeld are possibly showing at the moment. It is something that is maybe a minor concern, but when I guess you're taking points, you probably don't really talk about it as much. Um, with who they play up front, the system is either going to be a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1. One sole striker. Hinterzeer uh, was virtually non-existent on the pitch either. And either you are this game as well. Um, what were your major takeaways? You can either talk about Hamburg or, or how Hanover were able to really disrupt the flow for, for Hamburg. I think um, nobody really expected Hanover to be that of like offensively active on the field. I think there are a lot of good attacks, but I think both teams kind of had good ways to come to the other team's boxes. But as soon as they were in the box, they didn't really make anything out of their chances. Uh, Hanover didn't have a lot. They could have used them a bit better as well as Hamburg. Um, I was surprised a bit, though, by, by Hanover's performance. Which games I have, or the games I have seen so far this season weren't really good. Uh, they were more or less terrible. And I think someone who is really responsible for them being way better this past two games, especially, is uh, Linton Miner. I think he was one of the key players of this game. I think he was also um, the the scorer, had the scorer point for the 1-0. Um, I think he had a really, really decent performance. Um, but the problem is that this 1-0 or the, the equaliser, um, it's his fault in, in a manner that he just um, wanted the 2-0 but didn't really play it cool and um, then the the ball was lost and it came to the corner situation which um, had different points why, why they conceded I think first of all Sila look, didn't look really good then um, apparently who was responsible for Poyan Palo wasn't really clear it looked like Horn but in the end it was um, Haraguchi, who is just like three hats smaller than Poyampalo is. Um, so yeah, but I thought it was wasn't a good game, but has fall, but a get better game from from Anova in the end. Yeah, it is hard to disagree with that. But football is is a strange game, and all it takes is one chance. And in the end, it was Hamburg who were able to steal a point. Just quickly, did we, um, I don't know, did Eva, did you want to, obviously you posted about it on Twitter, but did you want to talk about what happened at the game to you? Obviously that was a pretty um, unsavoury scene. Is that something you want to talk about? or? Well, uh, I can talk about it. I spoke about it in a Hanover podcast yesterday. Um, yeah, I was just a bit angry after the game because I think for me as a neutral um, visitor of this game, I was not really supporting any of those clubs. Um, it beginning from me leaving uh, the parking spot where like three or four cars were next to me with high school fans and I had to listen to some some really stupid jokes and uh, the whole way to the stadium what what the most thing what really pissed me off in that moment was as soon as I say something nobody would react but as soon as uh, the father of the friend of mine I was with which are all high school fans 
said something like, okay, guys, stop it now. They immediately stopped. And I think this is something we really have to work out. Uh, this is not an only has fall problem. Um, it's, I think it's something we have to talk about more in football. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm relatively lucky to not really be disturbed by this as much as first time away fans may be. Um, but I think this is something clubs have to figure out, especially, um, for example, the, the whole, um, yeah, situation in the stadium as well. We only had one entrance for women, um, like four for men on each side, which is way too less. Uh, I spoke about it yesterday. And yeah, also when, when you go to, to police or you go to other people and they just tell you, yeah, we just... Uh, here for the game we don't know anything about this stadium we don't know how to get there um just go away <laughs> so the club has the club has to work out so yeah. we just had over in this point but yeah i was just angry needed to talk about this um happy so many people replied to this in a good manner also some people uh told me that i shouldn't be that angry but i think most of them really really had a good answer and yeah, I, I think this is why we have to make this more publicly. Um, we shouldn't fear shitstorm. I like, I don't really care if people now hate me or stuff. I think this was just important to talk about, and I'm glad that many women think the same. Yeah, well, well, firstly, well, well done to you for speaking out about it, and yeah, obviously, I'm I'm sorry about what happened. I think, yeah, there's sort of that that feeling in football in general, but I think in in German football as well, when you maybe travel away with a club, that sort of all the rules go out the window, you need to behave antisocially for whatever reason. And I think, yeah, especially with the sort of huge amount of highest file fans that were there, they maybe, yeah, felt that they could behave in a, um, yeah, in an antisocial way. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry about that. Do, do you think on, on that topic of sexism, because I was sort of thinking about it last night, there's been quite a lot of, um, or, or a fair amount of, um, campaigns from football clubs in terms of racism and homophobia, but do you think from clubs and maybe from the DFB as well, there needs to be more done in terms of sexism and how you behave towards women at, at football? Yeah, I think definitely this starts from the whole thing that it, how it is um, displaced in the media. I, there was this uh, hashtag she behind him that, um, yeah, like for example, the daughter of David Wagner is now part of the Sportschau team, and the the headline was yeah, um, I don't know, like beautiful uh, daughter of David Wagner is now part of the Sportschau. I mean, this is yeah. like the whole media stuff. Then it's also, for example, uh, yesterday in a game, uh, in a women's football game, there was a woman injured, a woman injured, and there were no. Um, doctors on the field. There were nobody from from hospitals that could walk her off. Her teammates had to carry her off the pitch. Um, and I think also sexism. It's still something that clubs don't really want to talk about because football is a man-dominated field. Um, I think it's a bit difficult still for women to to yeah just find their their place in a in a yeah football team a football club in any way um yeah it's 
it's a long way. I think it's the same with uh, with racism. Clubs do something about it, but you have to go beyond just saying some, but the like actions speak louder than words. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think it's for example the HSV fan wrote me uh, asking me to to give a statement to this, and I think this is good that they are um, aware of things that are going on. Um, but yeah, I think it's. I spoke of, said it yesterday. This is a different topic with racism. But if the clubs get get less, um, they only have to pay like fifty thousand euros if uh, there is a racist chant in their stadium. And then if you have like four pyrotechnic flares and you have to pay like two hundred thousand euros, this sets really really wrong statements and. Yeah. Um, I think this is something the the DFB really has to work out. People like that the people's dignity is much more worth than just like your fight with some fan groups in Germany. This shouldn't be the case, and I think this is mainly the problem of the DFB as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we should definitely talk about this more, and hopefully, these sorts of things will be lesser in the future we need to educate people better um that it's not okay to catcall people and to actually you know respect women you know respect people of color don't feel it's that difficult um even <laughs> yeah it's not hard um let's move on then uh to stuttgart who played last night uh they traveled to bochum and they stole a late victory, uh, one goal to nil. Hamidi Al Gadoui getting his sixth goal of the season. Uh, it was less than convincing. Uh, Eva, I guess the the takeaway for Stuttgart is it's their first win away from home under Pellegrini and Matarazzo. Uh, even if they did get a little bit of help. Yeah, um, I think I I didn't saw a lot, but what I saw. Um, Stuttgart had their chances, but as this happened a lot, a lot in this season already, they don't really, they're really, really bad in using their chances. I think from the top four to top ten or so, they're probably the team that uses the least of their chances, which is a huge problem. And especially away, this was the first away win since they won against Armenia. So apparently. Uh, Westfalia is a good spot for them, especially for Hamadi Agadoui. This is like the second time he scored um, that late in a game uh, for Stuttgart. Um, yeah, I wasn't really convinced by the whole performance. Uh, I think they were lucky that De Kali had a moment of um, yeah blackout stuff, you can say. But I have to say. Huge credit to the Bochum fans, also to the Bochum officials who directly after the game stood behind him saying he is not the guy why we're in the position that we are. Uh, we have to stand behind him. I think that's huge. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really, really um, yeah, convinced by the performance. I think the only one that really had a good game was uh, Gregor Kobel. Yeah, and he made a few good saves in this game, including the one towards the end, uh, denying Robert Jules. Uh, I guess the thing with with Kerbal Robert, he's come under 
a fair bit of criticism this season, and rightfully so. But his last few games, uh, especially since the uh, the winter break, have been very promising. How important will he be down the stretch uh, for Stuttgart if they are to mount a uh, a challenge at promotion? Yeah, I think um, I think he'll be he'll be very important for them. I think probably part of the problem with Tim Walter before Christmas was that they were. Um, is the Falafé were leaking goals. Um, obviously, well, you don't have to look much further than the, than the 6-2 um, the, the, the 6-2 result here at the Fox Park Stadion. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it'll be, it'll be very important for them. And I think, well, that was their second clean sheet in a row. So, um, if, you, yeah, if, you, if you don't concede any goals, then you, then you can't lose games. So, he's going to be important for them um, going into the run-in. Absolutely, three in their last four actually. So they've they're doing they've certainly tightened up defensively under Matarozzo. Uh, they actually host Regensburg on Saturday. Uh, just quickly on Bochum, yeah, it's a game that they could have desperately kept the point. Uh, they had their chances. That's some really good chances. But as we mentioned, Kerbal was really the difference uh, in this game. Uh, two sides who are in the chasing the fourth and fifth positions are Heidenheim and Holstein Kiel. Heidenheim drew 2 all with Nuremberg, with both goals coming from Tim Kleindienst. He's now got 10 goals this season, whilst Kiel took a 2-1 away victory at Erzgebirge Auer. Sally Uschan and Emmanuel Eyoa scoring against his former club, uh, getting on the score sheet. Uh, Rob, let's talk about Heidenheim then. Uh, they had to come from behind. Nuremberg were very, were very solid in this game. Uh, but I guess we should talk about Tim Kleininst in particular. He's having a fantastic season. And and you have to say that his goals are very much making a difference in their charge for fourth place. Very much so, yeah. He's been he's been the difference maker um, on quite a lot of occasions. Yeah, I mean, thinking back to the to the game here at the Fox Bash, and he got the only goal of the game. Um, yes, um, especially with Mark Schnatterer. Well, he's, he's not getting any younger. So someone needs to... Take the take the burden off him, um, and he's been doing that well this season. Yeah, I was I was really impressed um, by him um, on Friday night, and also when he when he played at the Foxbar show, and he's very very strong, holds the ball up well, but also is in the right place at the right time, and um, to poach his finishes on on Friday. So yeah, I think he's he's probably the key man if uh, sort of beside Schnatterer, um, if they are looking to close the gap and uh, try and get towards the promotion places. Hundred uh, percent. Eva with Kiel. Uh, we mentioned it last week how they've made a good run under Oli Werner. Another good win. We know how tricky it is to get points at the uh, the Erzgebirger Stadion. Uh, what impressed you with their their performance uh, on Sunday? Um, I think they were very stable throughout the game. Even when Auer came back, it didn't really look like um, Kiel are going to lose uh, their three points in this game. Um, they look much more stable uh, throughout the game or throughout the, the second half of the season than they looked uh, in under, under Andre Schubert or the mostly first half of the season. Um, you could see that in the table situation. I think um, with them facing Heidenheim on the weekend, I would give Kiel a bit more credit. I think Heidenheim isn't really... Um, they're kind of in a downfall at the moment, not a huge one, but um, just from the way they're playing at the moment, not as good as before. 
really like Keen on the weekend. Thought they had really, really good way of playing. Goals were really good. I think uh, Salih Khan had a really good game again. And um, yeah, deserved win. Yeah, the form guide is good on them. They are one of three sides who are unbeaten in their last five. They've taken maximum points in their last three. Uh, the other two sides that are unbeaten in their last five are Hamburg and Stuttgart. We'll take our first break, and on the other side, we'll look at the other side of the table, the relegation battle, in just a moment. Yes, and the first of our relegation battle is a relegation six-pointer in every sense of the word when Dresden travelled to St. Pauli on Friday night. Uh, this game looks very deceptive on the scoreboard because there was really only one team who showed up, and that was St. Pauli, but the game ended all square despite the numerous chances that the host had to take the lead. A Kevin Brawl and many missed opportunities. Saw Jos Luhu lost Jos the boss, Luhukai's team, uh, leave the Milan tour with only a single point. Uh, Eva, we look at St. Pauli, uh, a team that has been up and down since the commencement of 2020. They played really well in this game, but uh, yeah, they just lacked the quality in the final third, which has kind of been part of their issue all season. Yeah, I think it was the same against Stuttgart, although with Stuttgart you had a much more stronger opponent than Dresden. Um, and if you don't want to get pulled into the relegation battle coming end of the season, those are the games you have to win. You have to use the chances. Uh, Dresden is not a particular yeah, strong opponent or really tough one to beat. And... Um, because St. Pauli isn't winning a lot of or any games away from home. Uh, those are the games they need to uh, win at home, especially against Dresden. Um, and they need to use that. And I think this is um, something that Pauli has struggled for, not only this season, but I think seasons before as well, not using the chances they got um I think there was some didn't really understand why Knoll and Diamantakos weren't in the lineup. I think, I think especially Knoll is a huge, huge factor. Especially since Mats Meladili is out of the team, left the left the club, um, and going to be a really tough uh, derby for them on the weekend. Yeah, you talk about Diamantakos, and I know there are a number of St. Pauli fans who have been crying for him to play. His goal-scoring record this season is is uh, one every two games, I believe, his goal-scoring record is. So, yeah, they could use his quality if they decide to uh, rob with Dresden. They must have either missed the bus or, or plane or uh, anything because they were completely non-factor in the first half. And I think it took midway through the second half for Patrick Schmidt to register their only shot on target. Uh, they're another team that has been a bit low on energy. Uh, what what was their biggest issue, do you think, in the game against St. Pauli, Dis uh, besides their attack, which which was obviously uh, a non-factor? Um, I don't know. I just don't... I, I don't think they have a particularly 
clear plan of how they want to play football, how they want to create chances. It's not like they want to sit behind the ball and sort of park the bus and look to sneak a 1-0 win. They were sort of caught in two minds. As you said, they're incredibly lucky to escape with a with a nil-nil draw. And I mean, yeah, if, if you're not a factor away at St. Pauli, then it's it's going to be difficult for you. I mean, I, I was looking, have a look, I was having a look at their fixtures last night, and they've got Stuttgart, Bielefeld, and Haasfall coming up in April. So um, three fixtures where you won't expect them to get points. And I think, I mean, it's already what five points uh, from safety for them. So they're going to need to start picking up some so picking up some points fairly soon. Absolutely. Uh, another team that desperately needs to pick up points is Karlsruhe. Uh, they picked up their first point in their last f- in five or so games. Uh, one all draw with Osnabrück. It was Philip Hoffman who scored his 11th goal of the season in added time of the first half. It was Karlsruhe's fir- first goal in over 480 minutes. Uh, they couldn't hold on, however, as the ball came in to Benjamin Gertz. He heads the ball on Marcos Alvarez with his 10th goal of the season, giving Osnabrück a lucky point. Uh, Rob, you look at Karlsruhe. It's not been a great period, obviously. Alias Schwartz was sacked uh, over a week ago. It's been, yeah, not particularly good. Where, where do you think their problems lie? Do you think it's been an issue in their inability to find the likes of Philip Hoffman or do you think their their problems lie with the back four? Yeah, I think I think their problems more clearly lie with the with the defense. I think um they've conceded the most amount of goals in the league or um the joint the joint most. Um and yeah, I mean as you say they dominated for large um large ways of the game. I mean even the week before against highest foul here at the Fox Park Stadium, they um, they were they were defending okay, and then two mistakes, um, um, one from Mark Lawrence, which set up the fairly comical goal for Interplayer. Um, yeah, I think they're, they're having they're having problems with with conceding conceding goals, and yeah, they really should have seen the game out for an important three points on Sunday. Absolutely. Uh... It's been a very tricky period for them. And Eva, you look at um, a team in Karlsruhe that many of us had them being out of the three promoted uh, sides, probably the safer of the three. Um, it, it is quite almost comical in the way that they've started losing games. They've almost inherited another team's misfortunes and uh almost they find comical ways to lose and uh, you almost feel as if the goal from Hoffman is you know the only bright spot in what's been a very uh, shrewd period for them over the past two months yeah um, I think if we look at the start of the season or the beginning um, we were really surprised by Philip Hoffman's um, performance I mean he had 10 goals before um, like before this game and um most of them came very at a very early stage of the season. Um, I think the problem is that um, cards were more or less, yeah, and um, yeah, sometimes they didn't realize what's coming their way. 
Um, and this is, I think it's kind of the same with Dresden and St. Pauli. If you don't manage to win against teams that are coming out of the same spot as you are, so Osnabrück being one of the promoted sides um, as well, promoted teams, and you can't really manage to stay 90 plus minutes clear of a goal, it's it's going to be a tough season because you, especially those um, uh, those season or those games you really, really need to win. And it would have been a huge step forward, um, especially uh, as you said, they didn't score for 480 minutes. Um, has been a while for them. Um, and it was a, it's surprising me a bit because I saw them playing against Armenia. They were kind of decent for, for a team that went up, just got promoted, um, playing against one of the better sides of the, of the league. Um, and it's a bit surprising that they can't really replicate that against teams that are more of their stan- standard than, than Armenia or HSV or Stuttgart is. It's almost like um, certain teams can only really show up against the best sides and and then fail to beat those around them. A team that didn't have such an issue was Darmstadt. They beat Sanhausen through an Emmanuel Horn goal on 59 minutes. Uh, it's another win for them. And, and Eva, the surprise is they are now ninth in the standings. What has been the turning point for them uh, after what was a very tough start of the season for them? Well, um, <laughs> I don't really know. I think it's... Um, don't really understand Darmstadt much of the time they have really good games but then they kind of have weird performances again so um i i think who is who are key players are for example to be as camper i think he's one of the best players darmstadt has um but i think this is the problem that darmstadt will or has um faced part of the season they don't have a lot of players that um good individuals that only work in a team and I think um Tobias Kemper is someone who works no matter how the rest of the team works um and yeah uh, but I don't think don't see them going up any further up the table because I think um compared to last season their performance isn't really good yeah they did they like Bielefeld last season ended the season quite well they were unfortunate slow starters, um, but now it seems like they are slowly figuring it out. So I guess we'll quickly touch on Sandhausen, uh, Rob. It's their second consecutive game without a goal. Uh, it wasn't for the want of trying, but it, it seems that that this club goes through goes through a number of uh, almost stages where they become offensively challenged. What what could they do as a team uh, to improve this? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, I think I think it's sort of similar to to Darmstadt. Really, they're teams who um, like to sit behind the ball and play on play on the counter. And I think so. Probably, I mean, from my point of view, I'd say the one of the reasons why Darmstadt have perhaps turned it around is they've been defensively very solid, haven't conceded many goals, and they've had that bit of luck going forward, so they've managed to win 
the games 1-0 rather than drawing them 1-0 or 0-0. And yeah, I think for um, for Sandhausen, um, just um, a bit of a bit of luck to go their way, and the and result and the results will cut will start coming again. I, I don't really see them getting dragged into the to the relegation scrap, to be honest. Neither do I. Sandhausen are at home to Karlsruhe on Sunday. Uh, Darmstadt travel to Nuremberg. That game is also on Sunday. Uh, we will talk about Wiesbaden as well. Uh, they lost a goal to nil at Jan Regensborg. Eric uh, Verkesser was the goal scorer. Uh, another tough afternoon for Wiesbaden, who, uh, after their two-all draw with Hanover, uh, have gone now two games without a goal. They've lost both those games 1-0. Uh, Rob, I guess the thing that probably is notable is that they've improved defensively, but it almost seems whenever they uh, have become a better defensive side, their their offensive output seems to suffer. Yes, yeah, I think that's probably... And that's why I don't really see Darmstadt or Sandhausen getting getting sucked in because they have a bit more quality than Wiesbaden. I think um, um, Scheffler's been very impressive for Wiesbaden, but I think quite a lot of teams have possibly realised that if they keep him quiet, then there's not a huge amount from the other players that's going to that's going to come. Um, yeah, and I think that's um, they don't have a huge amount of potency. Um, apart from Scheffler. Yeah, it does seem that way. He has half of Wiesbaden's goals this season. 12 goals in 21 appearances. Wiesbaden, 24 goals. So if that isn't one man with very sore shoulders, I don't know what is. <laughs> um, either it's uh, a fairly okay response, I guess, for, for Regensburg. When you take into the account their last two games, they lost by a combined score of 8-0. Uh, clean sheets, very positive for them. Uh, it was an unlikely goal scorer. We haven't seen much of Vikessa. Um With Grutner in the stands, is that a positive sign considering that he will not be there at the end of the season? Um, I have to say, I didn't see a lot of the game, only, only the highlights. Uh, I think Greensburg was really lucky not to to concede a goal. I think uh, Wiesbaden actually um, had a goal taken off by VAR. Um, I think the problem is this wasn't the reaction many many Jan's, Jan fans would have hoped after the two losses in a row. And um, of course, Regensburg is not struggling in any way going much more down, but I think they really have to watch out because otherwise it's going to be a tough one considering next um for example Stuttgart next week don't see them picking up any points there um so I'm not really convinced by the performance and uh, I think they're lucky to have taken the point against Wiesbaden who is really not a tough side to beat although Stuttgart or uh May maybe of another opinion here, oh, but uh, <laughs> so, so. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I just think you you should really use those games to really show what you uh, can do, and they didn't really do this. Yeah, and that goal that was disallowed was millimeters. It was 
absolutely millimeters so that yeah they were very lucky not to go behind Regensburg but they did take advantage uh, when that goal was chalked off we'll go to the last part of our uh, episode which is the topic questions we have two uh, for this edition the first one is from David B at DBS16 realistically does Heidenheim Holstein kill or Jan Regensburg have a chance catching the current top two or Armenia Bielefeld and Hamburger SVL just worrying about having Stuttgart pass them for automatic promotion uh, Eva I'll start with you what's your thoughts on this um, I think that Heidenheim or Kiel are the two teams we have to speak about. Um, as I said, don't see Regensburg um, making anything towards uh, the top three or four. Um, but especially Kiel, looking at the performances uh, in the past couple of games, um, I see them uh, uh, challenging Heidenheim, first of all, but then only, uh, also challenging Stuttgart. Um, as well, games against Kiel are never easy. Uh, they're a really tough team to beat, I think. And um, yeah, they're. I don't know if they're going to really challenge the top two, whoever the or which teams that will be. I don't know. Um, can't can't say at all. Honestly, uh, this is a joke. But um, the third, who whoever will sit in third place, is. Or it can be Kiel as well, I think. Robert, what do you think? Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly um, agree with that. I think uh, what you were sort of talking before about Heidenheim, they look good going forward, but maybe don't have the defensive stability. Whereas um, Kiel are, as, as Ifa was saying, very difficult to beat. Um, but yeah, they've got some exciting young players. Um, Yanni Serra up top, uh, Sally Uzchan on loan from Cologne as well, and Emmanuel Iyoha, who's um, hit a bit of form recently. So yeah, I'd, out of those three, I'd see I'd see Kiel most likely to be challenging the top three. Yeah, I would also add Emmanuel Iyoha uh, as also another pivotal piece, and he perfectly links to our final question from Ben J. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at benjack94. Do you think Emmanuel Yo could be a key player for Fortuna if we go down next season or even have a role in the Bundesliga side if we avoid relegation? Obviously, a Fortuna Dusseldorf fan, they are much like Paderborn, Werder Bremen, Mainz uh, in in that fight uh, for relegation. So this is a little bit out of our jurisdiction, but we're very knowledgeable football fans, so we'll still answer it anyway. Um Rob, what, what's your thoughts on him? He's, he's had two years at uh, Erzgebirge Auer, uh, this season at Holstein Kiel. I guess I guess we'll take it upon a scenario where, let's say Dusseldorf do get relegated. Do you think mm. he could become a pivotal piece in that team? Definitely, I think so. I'm not sure if he if he'd necessarily yeah be able to make the step up to the Bundesliga just yet if if Fortuna do manage to avoid relegation but um yeah he's shown that um yeah he's he's sort of been so, slowly improving during his spells at Osnabrück and Auer and um yeah I was I was very impressed with him when Haasal played against Kiel um he's got a, a lot of good at- attributes um strong, powerful, pacey. Um, yeah, I think he could be definitely 
one to watch out for in the second division next season if he plays for Kiel or if, if that's with Fortuna or I'm not quite sure who. Yeah. Yeah, I had a look at him at the start of the season as one of my many scouting reports and the report was positive on him uh, as a player. He provides, you know, as you mentioned, his pace very strong, good finisher, uh, very good on the ball, can play a number of different roles. Uh, we've seen over the past couple of weeks, in particular, he's played on the left uh, of midfield of, of an attacking three, sorry, with uh, Lee Jae Sung playing as the false nine. Uh, I, th- I still think his best position is as a number nine, but being versatile allows him to you know play in almost any attacking position, and he he's you know a very a very solid player. So if they do go down, I reckon that's he may get his opportunity. He is a Dusseldorf born player, uh, gone through the academy system. You know, it's obviously it's one of those things that you you know eventually he's hopeful that event, all his loan spells will lead to playing for for Fortuna. But uh, yeah, he just needs to keep continuing to perform. If not, you there will be a bunch of Spider Bundesliga clubs that will go after him. I can almost guarantee. It. Even do you think? Uh, let's just say let's let's turn the situation the other way around. They survive. Would there still be a role for him, or do you think the Spider Bundesliga clubs? like Kiel, like maybe Heidenheim, who might want to add another player alongside Tim Kleinitzt, um, Osnabrück maybe. Do you think those kinds of clubs would be would be interested if uh, your, say, for example, became available? Well, I think um, I would agree that I don't see him fit for Bundesliga yet, um, especially um, in the past. It has been kind of evident that players that work out for Kiel do not really work out for uh, Düsseldorf on the likes of Marvin Dux, for example. As um, good he was as in Kiel, he couldn't really replicate this um, for for Fortuna. Um, I think you would be advised to stay at a Zweite Bundesliga club like uh, Kiel or Heidenheim, for example. I think uh, this would be better for his career but also if Fortuna stays up and they want him um, you wouldn't really look down on him in a in, in a bad way because of course uh, if it's your, your youth club you always want to play for them especially if it's Bundesliga uh, but I just don't think he would really play a role although um, especially with uh, with the coach changing in foot, uh, at Düsseldorf we'll see how this will going to turn out there's also a key factor Sector. Um, but I don't. I rather see him in Bundesliga. Uh, Bundesliga than Bundesliga. Sorry. That we will. It will be interesting to see what happens from there. That's it for this edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you, Eva and Rob, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the invite, as always. Absolute <laughs> pleasure. And until next week. We hope you enjoy your weekend of Spider Bundesliga football. Goodbye.